Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I'm your host, Lauren Morris, and I'm excited to talk teaching improv with all of you out there. Today's guest is Max McCall. Max has been teaching in San Francisco since 2009 and improvising since 2007. A founding member of the End Games Improv, he has been teaching classes and coaching teams ever since. Max is the director of the company and the primary architect of Endgame's curriculum. He has studied with IO Chicago, UCB New York, and Annoyance Theater. You will tell that Max and I have a lot of fun together, and I love having conversations with Max. I could talk all day with Max. I got to study with him at the Annoyance, so I'm one of those lucky people. And Max is super thoughtful about curriculum train the trainer, and teaching improv. So it's always a pleasure to get to sit down and talk to him about this. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you have as much fun as I did. And once again, thank you for listening to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. Okay, so how long have you been teaching now? I love you just jump right I on. do. Well, I'm going to front load it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's so business-like. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lauren. It's nice to meet you. Do. Yeah. I, start, I taught my first improv class in 2008. Okay. Maybe 2009. Uh, what was it? Uh, I was performing at Pan Theater back then, and I taught like the, the drop-in class. Yes. Uh, for them. <laughs> I studied at Pan Theater. My first real curriculum was there. Okay. Uh, I, pref- I studied there for their like, level two through four classes okay. and then uh, joined their main stage team after a while. So the first class you taught was a, a drop-in. Was it yeah. a drop-in of your choosing the curriculum or what they wanted you to teach? Yeah, he didn't. I didn't get a lot of direction on that, so I just kind of like, I, I had watched him do it a couple times. Okay. And I had some of my own ideas but it was very much like these people have probably never done improv before, so I'm going to help them in three hours get from nothing to scenes. Okay. And the best part was only two people showed up, and of course, uh, as a struggling artistic community, it was like, well, those two people are paying us money, so you're going to teach this. Right. So I did. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting. Yeah. We took a lot of long breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for your first time out, right. because you, you don't imagine. How many notes to give and... I know that I'm like a story that they tell about an awkward time <laughs> in their life, <laughs> if that ever comes up. Was it both their first time doing improv? Do you remember? I, pretty much. Like, neither of them was really, like, accomplished. That's so it. funny. And neither of them, like, were weird about it. They both stayed the whole three hours. I was like, all right. Oh, my gosh. All right, so from there, then, did you continue teaching or did you break off into coaching or what was... No, I didn't teach again for a little while, um... Uh, uh, there wasn't big enough to need more teachers at the time okay. you know a few but uh, I was really into it and then I ended up teaching for Endgames right after we founded Endgames I was going to so say so yeah the first one was like uh, January of 2011 so when you were you the only teacher that started Endgames at the time when you guys launched no Peter Kim Chris okay. Blair and myself okay Peter and Chris co-taught the first class and then Chris and I co-taught the next level one while Peter taught the level two. Okay. Yeah. So um, now did the three of you create the curriculum that you guys were going to teach? Who was responsible for that? They, Peter and Chris had done something, and then when Chris and I did it, uh, I sort of like inserted some of my own exercises. Okay. I think some of theirs moved out. and we would. We, Chris and I would chat before every class and be like, all right, here's the theme for today. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then we would 
uh, subtle on it and sort of just like switch off exercise to exercise. Okay. So, but with the, so with the, all right, let's go back. Cause, um, but the, did you guys have in mind when you started, like, if this is successful, we're going to have a four class curriculum or did you guys? No, it, it grew really organically. We started with a level one and it was just like, we knew there was room for it. We'd been teaching drop-ins for a while. Uh, I never taught any of those personally. And then uh, uh, Peter was like, let's do it. Got a space at uh, the old off-mission theater in San Francisco. And, uh, sorry, off-market. It was on-mission. And then did did that level one. And there were enough people who were like, I'll sign up for a level two. And then we posted another level one, and it got enough. We didn't do a level three for a while. We had um, a friend of ours, Scott Recchia, came and taught a herald class to like a few people who were interested but it wasn't really a level three yet okay it eventually became the level three as we grew and you let scott teach that because he knew herald at that got okay. studied at ios for okay. years uh and, and had been improvising longer than any of us okay yeah right and he's uh just for fun fact that's where the recchia that's my star- team is named after him right. because yes. when he moved away we said we didn't know a team name and peter kim joked Let's name it after him so he can never come back. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, how many classes does Endgames have? Like, how many in the... Not yeah, like, how we have a your... five-level program now. We have a an intro class. We have a, uh, a commitment class, for lack of a better word. It's a character in organic openings, but it's really just about, like, get out there and do some shit. And then we have a scene work class, a really isolated two-person scene work class. We have an event scene work class that covers second beats and group scenes and really gets serious about heightening and tries to create the, the, the skeleton of long form without quite teaching the Herald and then level five of the Herald Okay. Class. Uh, who, did you write that or did you co-write that? Who wrote the curriculum for this? So the level one class curriculum was co-written by me and Nish Tiwari and Chris Blair and uh, I think... Kira McCarthy has contributed quite a bit to it, and now a bunch of people teach that. And It's a little more open. The level one is really just like, this week is about yes, this week is about playing with fun, this week is about listening, and then you do whatever exercises feel right, but there's a long list of possibilities. Okay. The 201 curriculum I wrote and then synthesized a little bit, uh, uh, fine-tuned a little bit with Nick Caluzzi and Sean Flander. The 301 I wrote with Matt Nelson years ago, and I think... Folks like Sam Turnbull and Kaylee Quick have really like helped make that one come back to life. The 401, me and Sam Turnbull wrote, and the 501, me and Scott Meyer wrote. Okay. Um, when you are writing a curriculum, are you going backwards? Like, you know, mm-hmm. your end game, and then you want to... I plugged that nicely, didn't we I? We try not to use that word. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, right, oh my God. Do you know the end in mind, and then work your way back, or are you going like week by week building forward? It's way more sloppy than that. Okay. It's not even that. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, it's, I think it was like when Peter Kim and Chris Blair went and took the intensive in Chicago in 2012, they came back and the three of us sat down and redesigned the curriculum just as like a shell of like, at that point we were only at four levels and it was going to be group dynamics and, uh, uh, what do we do? Character, scene work, Harold. And I think that the teachers who were teaching them at the time we're kind of just doing whatever they thought was right. Maybe with an outline of like, these are the seven weeks you need to hit, do the exercises you want. These days I've been the architect of going and looking at the people coming out of the program and saying, 
this is where I see weaknesses. I want to make this adjustment. So one of those was when we added the second scene work class. Because I co-taught, or no, I just subbed for somebody's Herald once. And it was in like week six of the Herald that I was like, their scene work is gone. Right, like what are they their doing? Their scene so <laughs> right. overwhelmed by learning group games and organic openings that they their scene work was falling apart. And it's like, they just need to practice it longer. Right. There's nothing wrong with them. Right. You know, so we added that second one. Okay. And it was a good opportunity to really like focus on group scenes so that you can use that when you get into the Herald and to focus on second beats so you can use that to get into the Herald. Right. And then when I got back from Chicago, um, we took our 201 class from, I don't know what are they called, level two class at IO with uh, Bill Arnett. And he really did a lot of cool stuff with group organic openings and group games. And I was like, yeah, you need to teach this way sooner. And I've found now that when I teach a 201, these people have been improvising most of them for seven weeks and on day one, we're doing an organic opening, and they're just like, literally, I saw a bunch of strangers get the suggestion, hot dog, lie on the ground and roll over each other like they were on hot dog rollers. And I was like, improv is fucking magic. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and you and I have talked about this off, um, yeah. but you also feel that because they haven't been weighed down with so much of form they don't, they don't and They don't know rules. how to do it wrong yet. Yeah. And like... Organic openings, the more you know about how to do it wrong, the harder they are. Right, right. Yeah, um, I, I think that's – it's so funny because it makes me think about – because I don't even – I don't touch – or I touch organic opening in our Herald class, but I actually don't really start pushing it until there's a team in place. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just because, like, that team dynamic. Yeah. Uh, but just hearing from you and the experience, I'm rethinking I think, I think you I think you've got to, like, find your voice to teach it because – if you can't just be like, yeah, do whatever. Right, we, right. And, like, that is what you're telling people. Right. <laughs> but you need to give them structure to be unstructured right. first. Right. And then I think you you can uh, – so Bill Arnett's magic was saying, like, these are the mother sauces and these are different kinds of things you might see in an opening. And I'm going to teach you all of them individually. And you might take a spoon of this one and a spoon of this one and now you're doing something unique. And, like, that helps. I think it helps a lot in San Francisco because it's a tech culture city. So there's a lot of, like, real – intellectually driven students a ton of my students are like yeah i code at facebook i code at uber and it's like you know some of those just just because they're coding doesn't mean they aren't like super in touch with their emotions but a lot of them aren't (laughs) (laughs) so so you kind of you kind of like having a a way to teach it that is somewhat intellectual somewhat quantifiable helps at first and then the real trick is once they're doing those things getting them to break those patterns right so with that in mind having that do you what do you use metrics in your class for students to move forward? And if so, what does that look like? So right now, one of our curricula, the 201, has a very specific set of these are the things that someone should be able to do when they're done. Okay. My goal in the next six months to a year is to have all of the curricula written in that manner. Right now, we technically have a clause in our student agreement that says you're not guaranteed to pass if the teacher doesn't think you passed. Okay. We've never enacted it. Okay. Um, we've never kicked anyone out. We've never held anyone back. Uh, I've had conversations about it. I'll usually say, is this really the worst student you've ever had? You, oh, you've had conversations with the teacher about it. Yeah. Okay. They'll say like, I'm not sure they're ready to move on. And I'll say, we're setting a precedent here. So we need to know why we're holding them back. And like, we haven't as a company, this is our fault. This is on me done a good enough job of giving you guidelines for that. So you need to tell me why. Okay. And that would help us find a precedent. Okay. But so far, no one has acted okay. on it. Have you got so as a company, you never had to ask a student to leave for other reasons? No, uh, never a student. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if in the early days when we were less sensitive and confident, we maybe should have. Okay. But right now we have not, I think we've, we've had two separate meetings as teachers to sit down and talk about what behavior is unacceptable in classes and what behavior is unacceptable in scenes. Okay. Uh, I love what Nish says in his one-on-one classes. He tells the students, we're not here to be edgy. We're not here to make anybody uncomfortable. So we're just not going to touch material like that. And if your scene goes blue, I'll stop it. Okay. You know, it's like, he's not getting into, is it good comedy? He's just saying, this is a welcoming level one environment. Right. Save it for later. Okay. So with that in mind, do you guys have a policy in place that's, that teachers have to hand out that just is like a blanket, like, we don't tolerate harassment. We don't tolerate right now, being high in class. Or, we're working with, right now we have a, a non-legally binding thing. Right. That right. people agree to. Right. Uh, and, you know, they're given a link to it as well as they click through it, that kind of thing. Right. In the process of signing up. But we're working with a lawyer on creating a legally bonding community uh, code of conduct. Okay. I don't know for certain right now whether we're going to make every student sign that. We're definitely going to make every teacher, producer, and staff member sign it. Right. Anyone who we've granted authority to right. has to be held to a higher standard, period. Right. Um, they represent us. Right. Scott and I signed it ourselves, even as the directors of Endgames. You know? Right. Uh, right now we have a second non-legally binding one for people who have those positions, which everybody has agreed to and seen and signed. Right. Um, so... I actually really like what Nish is doing. Do you, what do you say to your classes uh, about that? Do you do something at the top at the very beginning of uh, when you're teaching or do you wait till you see it? I generally wait until I see it. I, um, I don't want to put people in a place where they feel like I'm telling them <clears throat> you have to behave a certain way or I'm going to fuck you over. Uh, um, and I will, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like on some level, I worry it's not enough because I think San Francisco is a very progressive place, but like who knows when that person's going to come along and do something real awful. Have you had, have you had yet to have to stop a scene and be like, Nope, we're not doing that. Yeah. Okay. What is that? Uh, Uh, I stopped a scene once because of what I felt was a racially insensitive topic of conversation. And to me, I say, look, I know you're a decent human being. I've been teaching you for four weeks now and I've hung out with you and had conversations about things other than improv. And I know like right now your anxiety is taking you to a place where you're trying to shock the audience with something a little bit off color. And I want you to recognize there are people in this room who represent the group that you're talking about. And I want you to think about how you're making them feel. And the guy was like, you're right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it. You know, I mean, like it's always been that kind of thing. Uh, I had a guy make a, really insensitive special Olympics joke in mm-hmm. class and it went really similarly. I was like, I'm looking at you. It was day one. I'm like, I'm looking at you. I don't think you're here to hurt someone's feelings, right? but you don't know who's in what situation in this room. You don't know whose family is in what situation in this room. Like <clears throat> don't, uh, don't make it a joke that someone is like the way they are. Right. And typically I find it's students who out of the anxiety and going for the just going for the lazy joke. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's until we like start to teach them that and know better and be better. You have to um, realize it's like, it's no different than just making a lazy joke that isn't racist or sexist <laughs> or harmful, right? It's just like, <laughs> right, 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 right. it's that's, never that's good true. comedy. Right, that's it's true, right. Like, uh, if somebody makes a shitty pop culture reference in my mind, that's also their anxiety leading them to the easy joke. Right. They're like, oh, if I make a crack about Beyonce right here 
that's going to get a laugh. And it's like, maybe. Maybe. But like, maybe. you're not doing the thing. I think improv works better when we tell people, do this and do this and do this and not don't do this and right. don't do this and don't do this. So every time there's a teaching moment where someone has made a choice that makes other people in the classroom uncomfortable, the best way to approach it is to say, are you creating a strong relationship with this? Are you making things important to your character? Are you playing their point of view? And they might be able to like tell you why that's coming from their character. And that's why, to me, there's some gray area in these things. But in a classroom, we don't need that. <laughs> right. Do you, have you ever had a student stop a scene and say, hey, I can't do this, I'm too uncomfortable? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, do your students... Uh, I've had students stop a scene and just say, I don't know what to do, especially right. very early students. Um, do you think <clears throat> you guys are doing a good enough job of creating that environment, though, where the student's like, look, I can't, this scene is crossing boundaries for me, I can't do this right now? Uh, I'm sure we could do better. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's something that we talked a lot about in our teaching meetings on this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, teaching meetings really quickly. How many teachers do you guys have on staff right now? Like 25. Okay. So you're meeting regularly? Or? Not regularly. Okay. But when Scott and I have like policy changes or things like that that we need to meet about. So we've had, I mean, we've basically had two teacher meetings okay. since the staff got a lot bigger earlier this year. Right. And we had one meeting to go over new student policy, go over our change in makeup policy, make sure everybody understood all the policies so they don't have to like constantly go read them. Okay. And then uh, we, we also were meeting mostly because we needed everybody's, uh, hey, we're paying you above board and we need all your tax information and okay. we're going to be submitting our taxes to an accountant, so all this shit needs to get done. <laughs> like that, that kind of boring stuff happens in those meetings <laughs> right. too. And then we had this meeting about like, how do we talk about these things with students? Do you have um, an informal or formal way a teacher can then go down the pipeline and be like, I'm having a, like, I, because, you know, new teachers have their own, they need mentoring through mm -hmm. things and stuff. So, you know, hey, I'm struggling to get a student to be more emotional in a scene. Or I'm getting, do you have a formal process of that? Or is this kind of no. like, okay. I don't know if I would want a formal process for that. I, might, I think we might be able to have better communication channels for that. But I definitely don't think I'd want a formal process. So, I Do mean, your I'm teachers sure have mentors? Mean. Not specifically. Okay. I'm, uh, uh, I, every teacher shadows someone before mm -hmm. they teach. And <clears throat> teachers are encouraged to shadow one another at other times so we can share that around. Um, as I move more and more away from the theater production side of things and more and more towards the school, I'd like to formalize that process too. Right. Um, I'm making finger quotes around the word formalize right. there. Right, in case anybody saw that. Hey, radio. <laughs> um, that's, to me, like, we should always be learning. I want to go shadow more of our teachers and provide feedback and right. how can you improve. And then I want to, once I feel comfortable that I'm able to do it, give other people the authority to do that too. That was going to be my next question is, how are you evaluating your teachers? Are you doing, like, surveys for students at the end? Yes. And then also, like, are you guys, like, are We've you been... personally going in and... We've been doing student surveys since day one. Okay. Um, uh, uh, we have someone, uh, my girlfriend, Rebecca, who <laughs> sends us surveys out every time and we collect all the data. Uh, and we're working on automating it so when we get surveys, responses, we can send you an email with all of your survey feedback in there. Okay. That's, uh, we're, we're, we're in San Francisco, so we have to make everything a tech solution. Yes, and I feel like you can find the right person for that. Um, <laughs> have you personally ever received an evaluation of yourself, and you're like, huh, I didn't see that one coming? Um, no, I, so I feel like student feedback is valuable 
sometimes, I mean, I've had things like this person talks too much. I don't really get that anymore, but I used to, um, I've had things where someone would, someone clearly was just not of the same preference of what style of improv as us. And I've been caught aside by that. Um, <clears throat> but I, I haven't had any really like surprising or really any really negative feedback. Right. I feel like if people are super negative about a teacher, they tend to just go, okay, hopefully the next one will be better. Uh, we haven't really gotten a lot of, like I literally, I think our, out of five points, our average is like three and a half to four and a half. So people right. are clearly not submitting their negative feedback if they have it. Right. Right. Um, so the so now that this curriculum is all like shelled out and everything, how much room is there for the teacher though, to bring their style to that? So there should be, there should always be some room for that. But I, I honestly think even if I give you a list of exercises and say run these specific exercises, you're going to do that very differently than I am. Right. Um, I want to ultimately see a, a world where every day of every class has one or two keystone activities that the teacher is going to run because we should know that those students have done those. Right, when they see them in the next class. Yeah. And then right. a list of things that might fit well. And then the quid pro quo, that's not the right phrase, the, the, the proviso that you can put in whatever you want right. uh, into that last chunk of it, right? You're probably only doing four, maybe five exercises in a class of 16 in three hours anyway when you include warm-ups and taking a break. Right. So, you know, like one that's there for sure, maybe two, and then the rest of it's a little more flexible. We're giving you guidance, but not a straitjacket. Right, right. Yeah, Um for you, um, do you use – well, actually, I want to stay on the teacher training for a bit. Um, so they shadow. Mm -hmm. And then um, – well, first. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm doing this irregularly right now, but I'm trying to formalize the times when I do it. I'm doing a three-hour lecture discussion on teaching and coaching. Is that for someone who's interested or someone who's already doing it? Interested. Okay. Uh, or already doing it. A okay. lot of people who are doing it – maybe this will change as we grow, but – a lot of people come to that having already had some experience, okay. which I think is good because it means I get better questions. Right. I do less lecturing and more discussion right. when there are people in the room who kind of know what they're doing. Right. But uh, that's like a three-hour thing. It's open to anyone who's finished our program. Okay. So as long as you've taken our fifth level, okay. uh, we allow people to skip the first level if they have previous experience, but that's it. Right. Uh, so if you've completed that Harrow class, you can come and do one of these. I have done three of them so far Okay. in a year. Okay. Uh, that might end up being pretty standard. Okay. I don't feel like I need a lot more than that. They might end up being less than that as we grow and people have all done it. Because a lot of those people were like, they've been around four years. Then I hand select a batch of people that I would like to make into staff teachers. Okay. And I work with those people for six weeks, six people at a time. Each week, one of them teaches the other five. Ah, okay. So they're so they're they're a working lab. Yeah, okay. and I I'm there and I talk as little as I can, but I interrupt their exercises sometimes when I see like, um, boy, you should say less right now. This is you're saying a lot. Or when I see, um, I know you want to go in there and side coach that because I could see you dancing like you want to say something to them. Fucking say it. Uh, just helping people to get their confidence. Okay. And I think that it's an interesting one because a lot of times they're, they're working with their peers and teaching their peers and sometimes teammates and like everybody's going into it with an open mind and we talk about this ahead of time. Like, um, 
on the plus side, like usually the people we're picking to come into those classes are doing fine improv already. Right. So it's not like you need to tear them apart. Right. But I want to see them demonstrate that they can impart a specific skill or a specific lesson through an exercise. Right. To me, I think there's, you use exercise to, to, to teach specific skills by isolating something. You have moments in teaching and coaching, particularly in coaching, where you step back and let people perform so that you can talk about it with them afterwards, but you give them that simulation aspect. And then you have hybrids that are somewhere in between. Right. So after that, then they go into the classroom and shadow? Yep. And then they shadow okay. another teacher, hopefully not me, for okay. the full seven weeks of okay. our classes. Uh, what are your thoughts on, um, so there's there's like a couple school thoughts that a first-time teacher teaches 101 or a level one or an introduction class, but a first-time teacher maybe shouldn't be teaching the introductory mm. foundational class. I think, it, I think it, there's a temperament issue about level 101 versus 501. Um, like, there are people who are a little too aggressive and, and perfectionist about their teaching, and they probably shouldn't be teaching level one. Right. So are you looking more at the individual then when you go, when they come out of that program and they're ready to go, are you kind of looking like where A, we need coverage first or B, their temperament and where they would fit best? We are at this point still mostly coverage first. Okay. Um, when we, when I taught my last batch of six instructors, I got four of them up and running right away and shadowing. Two of them took a little bit longer just because scheduling. Right. Um, you know, finding that seven weeks where you can be sure you're going to be there every week is a little tricky. Right. Um, but then out of the four of them, two of them taught 201 or 301 right away. Okay. And that's fine. Um, you, if you're the sort of person who's got two to three years of improv experience, a 301 person, like, you might think of it in your mind as, oh, that's a fairly advanced class. But, like, they've been improvising 14 weeks when they start that class in our program. Right, right. You're going to be able to give them something useful. Right. You're go- you understand the concepts in there. I know that because we talked about them. <laughs> well, right, because they've just been through this whole process. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and, in fact, they're closer to that than, a, than maybe perhaps someone. Like, I think sometimes it's hard for people who've been improvising for a few years to, like, step back and be like, oh, I can't. Like, I'm taking a level one student. I can't give them all the information in six weeks. Right. Right? So it's. Yeah, you feel like you're responsible for their success continually after you're done with them. Right. And I think you need to recognize they're not going to come out of this done. Right. You should give them challenges to work on going forward. Right. You should help them understand where they are in terms of the world. Ask, answer every question they ask as honestly as you can, whether or not you think it's a level one question. Um, and, and like mostly, especially in level one, they should just walk out of there loving improv. Right. Well, that's that's a huge thing of it. The Selfishly, I love level one because I, that's when I see all the lights mm-hmm. go on that they just – like it. for some of them, it's day one. For some of them, it's day four. But typically, all of them at some point, you're like, I just tucked that person into improv for life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. selfishly, I love level one because you're just like, yeah. ooh. So when I'm picking somebody – I mean, like there's a difference between we need a bunch of level one instructors because we have five or six of them going on at once and like – People like Chris Blair and Nish and Kira are great level one teachers because they fucking make people love improv. Right. They're all really different, too. Sometimes when I'm teaching 201, I can tell who came from which of their classes. <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. Because they're so different. Right. But they, they all create teams that love each other, and they all create people who love improv. Right. Or, or maybe I should say 
open people up to the fact that they already love this kind of thing. Right. And I think, you know, and then some people are really good, though, then once that foundation has been laid, it, to go in and be like, okay, great, but now let's, re- like, I have some people who I know who just, they're so good at seeing specific things, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work necessarily in a level one class. No. So. Level, I think level one's, it's hard. It's hard work. Yes. Uh, even the, when I teach two of ones, I have to let go of so much. I have to say to myself, this class is about letting go of your inhibitions and being able to contribute and knowing that your voice is a golden, perfect, beautiful voice full of wonderful ideas. And I don't actually care if you succeed at good scene work in this right. class. But when I see you in 401, we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, so for you, when you are teaching personally, do you ever use physical materials in your classroom? Uh, not very frequently. I... I've done the, like, let's put a card on our forehead, and we don't know what our status right, is, right. Exercise, but I'm, I'm over that. I, What's your thought about... Uh, um, I, sometimes, I, do, I do sometimes like to bring in physical objects for a space work class okay. and be like, we're going to use these scissors, and then we're going to cut imaginary paper. You know, like, <laughs> I was telling somebody, I think I was telling, I told somebody the other day about my, my concept of uh, space work field trips. Let's go to a shooting range and learn how guns work. Right. You know? I, I hate in scenes when I'm, like, forced to shoot an automatic rifle because I have no idea how the fuck that feels. You're forced to <laughs> right. yes. shoot this automatic rifle, Lauren. I'm in Florida. It happens often. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, what, because it's interesting because, like, I used to, um, like, I will send, every class gets a follow-up email from me. You meant, like, handouts. Well, no, that's, no, I actually mean both. I mean both. No, I absolutely mean both. So, because I've started to bring in, I I actually love that whole idea of the brain and the objects. Yeah. Um, But then there's also the materials, like I guess the handouts or whatnot, because I used to, um, everyone gets, after every class, I give a breakdown of what we did and why we did it, and then I usually always throw in a fun, so, because we have a lack of, you know, of improv to watch and I am. So I usually throw in a fun video or yeah. a link where you can watch more improv or something fun. And then usually some sort of like, especially when we get to Harold, like here is what it looks like mm-hmm. in PDF. When I teach, I teach a class once in a while on using premise in improv and I will always, uh, and then we'll, you know, we'll talk about game, like in a more UCB context in that class too. And I'll send out sketches and be like, right. this is a great example of what I'm talking about or, uh, it's it's so easy to find stuff on pattern. There's a, um, I think it might be a cyanide and happiness con- comic strip. I probably have this wrong, but it's like, no, it's somebody else. Anyway, the the, the first panel is like a, a, a wolf man walking up to a little girl and the girl says, oh my God, it's a werewolf. And the wolf says, oh no, I'm a wind wolf. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and tells him tells her the time. And the next panel, a, a Y wolf appears, and right. the third one, a werewolf, a, a howl wolf, or something. And I'm like, this is the best distillation of game I can give you in four panels. <laughs> like, this is a walk-on run game move. Do you ever like do just like a whiteboard and writing? Because I feel we have chalkboards on our do. walls. Yeah, we have two chalkboards in each of our classrooms at our our least space. I used to be a real hard ass about like. I'm going to tell you and walk you through and I'm going to send this stuff home about Harold, but I'm not drawing it out. Mm. Uh, and I was like, no, it's hard. You need to get it. <laughs> but then I got enough feedback of people being like, but I learned both visually. Yeah. And so I've started like bringing in more of, I don't draw the Harold, um, 
mostly because I, I teach it totally out of order. Oh, okay. And I don't assemble it until like week four or week five. Oh, nice. Okay. And then week one, people will ask and I'll be like, don't worry about it yet. Okay. Because I think the hardest part about the Herald is how much people get in their head about the Herald. Yeah, they get stuck They get stuck with the structure. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you said, like the scene mm-hmm. will start to fall apart yep. and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I also found this this really cool graphic. I think it was shared somewhere on one of the improv Facebook, but, and I'm sure it's a thing, but like the middle is green and that's your comfort zone and then blue is learning and then red mm. is panic. And so when I see some students starting to shut down, like I have a few students who really shut down, shut down. Yeah. So literally they can just point like they're in panic zone. I'm like, great, let's take a break. And Some people just get walking into the classroom the first time puts them in the red zone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we do these Saturday drop-in classes. It's like 15 bucks. You get a three hour workshop. We pay a teacher. And so that's where most of our teachers get their first taste of it. And right. Cause you can't break someone too much. In three hours. <laughs> well, I, can't, like, I just tell them have fun. Right. Like don't, if somebody comes to me and is like, Oh yeah, I want to teach a workshop on like, um, uh, really like selling it with uh, three-person scene work. I'm like, this is probably not something that's going to appeal to these people coming in off the street. Like, right. stick to listening, stick to group scenes, stick to patterns, stick to any of the basic fundamentals that you might need, relationship emotions. Um, uh, and then, like, if you want to teach something else, like, pitch me a workshop. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so, okay, so we talked about, um, yep, we talked about that. I'm just going through some of my other stuff. Uh, what are you doing right now? Because you've been doing this a long time at this point, and what are you doing to continually hone your own skills as a teacher? Taking workshops all yep. the time. Right. Yeah. I can't push that enough either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I In the last four years, I've done three intensives, uh, four improv utopias, and we brought – an instructor from out of town literally every month of the year 2014 or 2015 sorry and i think we brought in like five or six in 2016 and you sat through all those i, I go to every one yeah. i can yeah. yeah uh there was there was at least once where i was out of town but if i'm there I'm, I'm there yeah yeah um so for you um we've, how do you handle a student who um pushes back on give, when you're giving notes mm. um it's just, it's just an interesting topic to me because I don't get this a lot. Okay. And I think that part of that comes from, like, uh, everybody's used to listening to a tall white man. Like, I think I get privileged there. <laughs> like, I do. I, I have students that friends of mine will say, this person was really pushing back on notes. I'm like, damn, they never did that to me. And that's, like, that's just me. It's an opportunity for me to be like, maybe I should check my privilege on that. Maybe that's what's happening. Also, I'm the founder of the company. Everybody right. knows who I am. I think that weighs heavily in people's minds too. Do you think it's maybe your approach also how you give feedback to begin with? Well, so, and this is this is where like this is where here's where I can actually talk about what can I control, right? Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Like if I take those two things out of the picture, and I think they have a, a not insignificant impact on my uh, uh, thing here. But like I've been a big shit sandwich proponent from day one. Okay, uh, I'll jump in first with how much I liked what they did. Here's what I think you're doing well. This is what was good about that scene. Hey, can I challenge you to try this? But do you see how what you did here caused this reaction from the audience that you might not, might not be the one you want? Um, uh, uh, I, I like, I think I'm, you have to, they have to know you're on their side. Um, a thing that I do is I, I play with like variations on how 
in their face am I getting with a note? Uh, I'll literally, as the scene is going well, back away from it and put more space between me and them. Okay. So they know, like, okay, this is going good, this is going good. And then when they need my help, I'm there to get okay. closer and to get in. And, like, I want to shut the rest of the world out when it's that moment of, like, hey, let's try this. I want to get real close and, and talk to someone one-on-one, okay. um, uh, you know, without, like, not, like, shoving my face in their face and making them uncomfortable, but... Uh, how you how you physically approach someone about it. Um, uh, this isn't this isn't like a rule, but a lot of times I see people coach or teach, and they're sitting on the other side of the room barking orders. It feels like you know, and and that stand up. Yeah. Right. Go walk over there. Yeah. I have st- a conversation. I stand for the whole three hours when right. I teach, unless I'm watching them do a set. Right. Uh, and that's to me like that. I'm going to sit down and take notes is the ultimate sign of. Go. Right. This is your time. I'm just watching now. Yeah, I find if I have to take notes on something, that's when I'll sit down. But otherwise, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe a lot of people don't recognize this when they start teaching also. It's like, you better leave just as exhausted as your students. Mm-hmm. And more if you're, so, Or generally. more, right. Like, you are putting in <clears throat> as much, if not more, energy. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes you have to bring more energy because they're just they're struggling as a group or they're a lower energy group. Yeah. And you've got to feed it and... For me, though, like that, that that energizes me. I'm I'm the first one after a class to be like, are we going out? You want to go get a Because I'm not going to sleep for three hours. Right. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> for, for me, it sucks because right, like around 11, my phone goes off because my kids are like, hey, it's past your bedtime. Right? Mom's coming home. I love that their bedtime is later than yours. Yeah. <laughs> they they stay up till I get up. You were late. Yeah, I know. That's so that's so true. Um, so diversity. Because yeah. you just said you're like the white male for the viewers who yeah. or for the listeners who may not have may seen not your face yet. A guy named Macau, right. Like <laughs> what? Uh, uh, a few questions. Yeah. One so what are you doing to make sure that your teaching staff is diverse? You know what? You just pick diverse teachers as much as you can. Um, you want the best teachers, but we're, and this is luck for us, we're big enough that right now as I'm making a decision about, like, who is the next batch of six to eight teachers I want to pick, uh, I can lean that way pretty well. We need to recruit more female teachers. We've lost more female teachers than male teachers just through attrition right now. Okay. So our teaching staff is weighted pretty heavily that way. Okay. Also, early on. Myself and some of the people who were making decisions about who would teach weren't really thinking that through. Right. So we have a glut. Um, we're about to lose two more teachers early next year, it looks like, uh, both men. So that will help to balance our numbers. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. And I think the next batch I do, I'm going to do six more. It's probably going to be two dudes and four women. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I know who those people are going to be. Okay. I hope they're listening. And <laughs> this will be amusing for me. Uh, Later on. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, it's almost a cliche, but, like, if you want to improve diversity, fucking pick people who aren't white men. Right, right. Uh, uh, and I know that's hard, especially based on your locality and based on, like, your community will cause more people like you to come to it. So if you start a community as a bunch of white dudes, you're going to attract more white dudes. That's nobody's fault. Right, right. Uh, you have to work to create diversity because culturally we're so used to splitting ourselves up along those lines so but with that in mind they're players before they're teachers so and you're in the position of not just being a teacher but also running a company yeah so you then also have to take in consideration um 
are you making your teams 50-50? Are you making sure that people, right? Because then, yeah. because they can't really teach until they've been in it and they won't get in it unless there's opportunities then for them to get in the door. Yeah, we're in the middle of a, a, a long, months-long process of writing our value statements as a company right now. Um, and diversity is definitely something that's included among that. But uh, uh, another one that's, that's like that is sort of like we have to ask each other, and this is more, more on the performance side than the teaching side, but ask each other to question that constantly. Like, are we doing a good job as producers and team members of recruiting that way? My team does... Friday night at 10.30 show, we've been doing it six years. There's only two of us left from the original cast. We're always adding new people because the best people often leave the fastest when you're not in L.A., Chicago, or New York, or maybe if you're not in L.A. at this point. Um, so we, we have lost lots of teammates that way, so we're always adding new people, and we're at the point of, like, I think we're three women and six men, and we're about to lose one of the women again. So <laughs> I think we're going to cast two more women, maybe. That's a thing we've talked about anyway. I don't okay. want to speak for my whole team. Right. <laughs> uh, but, like, like you know, you just have to make that choice. And, like, is the team predominantly white? No, it's it's pretty good, to be honest. Like, But, like, uh, uh, not all of our teams are that way. And sometimes it's just circumstance, you know? You just right. might start with a diverse cast and, for whatever reason, see it winnow down to that. I've seen it go the other way, too, where, you know, you get a great cast that's like, yeah, it's got no white dudes on it. That's awesome. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, uh, and then when we do our Herald teams, we do, we generally cast 10 or 11 people and we want at least five and six women and men okay. at a minimum. Okay. Uh, and then diversity beyond that, it's mostly a matter of who auditions and how well they do. We will definitely take the position of, well, these two people were both good enough and neither of them stuck out like as amazing over the other one. Let's take the person who's more diverse. Right, right. Um, and that's, you know, it's it's up to our proctors at those auditions, and I trust the people doing that. Right. Because I think it is a pretty well-held belief in our community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're also in a community that is pretty progressive, and that's all important. Again, yeah, right. it's that blue bubble. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 it really is. Um, any So what are some thoughts or advice about, to anybody who wants to be, be thinking about becoming a teacher? Uh Trust yourself, trust the art form, know that you can't really hurt people too much. You're only one voice out of a constellation of improv teachers they will have before they truly get good at this. Uh, you can certainly turn someone off by being a dick or uh, doing shitty things or saying shitty things to people on and off stage, but uh, you can't, I don't believe that a hopeful, well-meaning improviser with let's say a year to pick a random number of experience is going to hurt people in a three hour dropping class or a one-off coaching session. Right. Find a way to, to get your feet wet and understand it. And then like, even if your community doesn't teach on about, about how to teach, find the people who do talk about it and ask them about it, ask them for advice. Either they learned it from someone else and they can pass it on or they figured it out themselves and, they probably learned some real hard lessons that they can give you some hands on. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. Any uh, final thoughts or anything you want to think about? Uh, no. Okay. Teaching's my favorite thing that I do yeah, I, um, on a weekly basis. I love it. What do you think What do you think it is about teaching that you love so much, actually? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, selfishly, I like being in that position of, like, being – uh, an authority on what I speak about and having people listen and agree with me, it's validating to be like, oh, I'm doing this well and people like it. 
And on the other hand, I, I also just, I love improv and I want people to love improv and I don't know a better way to get them to love improv than by teaching them and giving them an opportunity to get on stage. Right. And we put people on stage after every one of our classes. Uh, we do some advanced studies where we give you a four-week run. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right, cool. We're going to wrap up. Thanks, Max. All right, thanks, Max. By wrap up, you mean turn the microphone off? I am. I'm going to turn the microphone off now. (laughs)